So uh, my name's Jeff. I'm super excited to be here with you all. Merry, merry, merry Christmas. Um, I'm so glad to be in church, learning, growing in this Advent season. Uh, a few years ago, I was in- invited uh, by somebody. She called me and she said, hey, could you come over and pray for my mother? So sure. So I uh, go over and it's a-, a trailer park. So I go into the trailer park and Parked car, walked through the front door, and a smell hits immediately, and right in front of me at the couch, the mom's on the couch. Um, one of the things as a part of being a pastor is we get to do a lot of really cool celebrations. We get weddings and really cool stuff. But the other side of that is we also get to be a part of really hard things like death. And this woman was on her deathbed. Um, she was emaciated, cheekbones kind of in, and so... I went by the couch, she's laying on the couch, and I, I put my hand on her arm, which, no muscle, so it's just bone, just holding on to her. And I said, hey, my name's Jeff, I'm a pastor, I'm just here to pray for you. And she goes, son, I'm gonna need a lot of prayer, and I don't think prayer's gonna change anything. And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, listen, God's finally got me. His vengeance is finally upon me, I'm getting everything I deserve. I said, tell me about that. She goes, well, I'm a bad woman. I'm a bad, bad woman. And God's finally gonna get his because he's finally getting after me. And this cancer that's taking my body, I deserve every bit of it because I've been a bad woman. And I paused and I said, I don't know if I know your God. Because you're talking about a God that's coming to get you. And I'm talking about a God that's coming to get you, but it's rescue. It's love, it's care, it's concern, it's sacrifice. I don't know about a God who wants to emaciate a body and destroy it. I don't know that God. I know a God that loves. I know a God that sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Everlasting life. I know that God. A God of loved. This woman was in so much turmoil because she had been a bad woman. She'd been a meth dealer addict her whole life on top of many other things that she was dealing. And she was gonna die in that despair that God was against her, not for her. So I said, you can receive his love and in receiving his love, you receive his peace that passes all understanding and you can enter into your rest. And she received Jesus. And she received that peace that passes all understanding, that rest for your soul. A few days later, she passed away. Finding it interesting that for so many of us, we, we treat peace like it's an insurance plan, something we opt in and we opt out based upon whatever's going on. I'm gonna opt into peace today because circumstantially everything seems to be great. Oh, stuff's bad, I gotta opt out. Jesus is trying to present to us, in fact, the corpus of scripture is trying to present to us something completely different. And yet, for us, that's how we tend to live our lives, so circumstantially. And circumstance is a thief. It's robbing us of all the peace that he offers to you and to me. A peace that passes all understanding. But see, here's the thing. Peace cannot be rooted in circumstance. It has to be rooted in Christ. 
Has to be. Has to be rooted in Christ and not in circumstance. And, and I, I'm here today to tell you that I think for so many of us, we've rooted our whole lives within the context of a circumstance. And like I said earlier, I think those circumstances are robbing you because you've got your focus there instead of on the person of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, the Christmas story is this story, you know, I grew up in the Baptist. I was a Baptist kind of growing up, you know? I'm not gonna have any Baptists raise our room, right? Raise your hand in the room because you just raise your Bible. You just be like, yes and amen, right? So, um, so I grew up, kind of, and, and I always realized that when we came to the Christmas story, it was all, it was just like, look, everything's great. And it all worked out when he showed up. Do you know the Christmas story? Jesus showed up and everything got harder. Everything got harder. I mean, think about Mary. Mary's living a great, engaged life. The whole community, a Jewish community, by the way, where weddings weren't like, kind of like ours, where it's just family and, and friends. It was a whole village. Everyone would have heard about this Mary and Joseph being together. Everybody would have been planning to celebrate with them. And so Mary's, Mary comes, uh, an angel meets Mary and says, guess what? You're pregnant. We're pregnant. We're pregnant. Mary's like, wait, what? Time out. No, 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 no. This is not a part of the plan, right? How am I going to, you know, she's standing before Joseph. Joseph, you don't understand. I'm carrying the Messiah, right? I've seen this on Jerry Springer, right? You've seen this in Mary, Mary Povich, right? Like, no. No, like she's going like, how am I going to tell him? I'm going to shame my whole community, whole family. Joseph, things are going pretty good. He's got his trade. He's a carpenter, anticipating his wedding, planning for it. And now his wife, his soon-to-be wife is pregnant. And he's like, I don't, if I leave her, the whole village will abandon her, will shame her, will kick her out. But if I stay with her, I'm with a woman. Well, I don't understand what to do. An angel of the Lord meets him. And then they go on a journey to Bethlehem. No room in the inn? Lord, please. No room in the inn? What are you talking about, right? Everything got harder. Like, see, in our Western minds, as we see the Christmas story, they're at the Ritz-Carlton, right? Right, and then there's no room in the inn. Like, no, like, we, we don't know what to do that. But because we have translated this story to fit our context, and it's why, for so many of us, we're all out of sorts. To be honest, I'm not sure we've done a really good job in the local church. I'm not, just say, I'm not saying this local church, but in the church as a whole, helping us really understand this story and what it really means. And the reality is, is it doesn't necessarily keep getting better. Jesus dies. What? And he raises again. We're like, yay. And then he ascends into heaven. We're like, no, right? And Jesus says this. He gives us this promise. I'm re- you ready? Everybody likes promises from Jesus. Here's a good two promises he gives you. In this world, you will what? Suffer. Nope. Nope. Can't do that. No, no, no. It's supposed to be all good after you came. It's supposed to be all good after you ascended into heaven. It's supposed to be all good. No. But take heart. I've overcome the world. What Jesus has been trying to teach us, what all of scripture has been trying to teach us is that the way that we think about peace is wrong. It's wrong. The whole of scripture, Jesus himself is going, I'm gonna give you a promise, but I'm not gonna lie to you. And I, here's the thing, I wanna say this, I'm sorry. I think for a lot, we've been lied to a lot of us. 
We've been lied to think that the moment that we receive Jesus in our lives, that all of a sudden fairy dust and roses pop up everywhere and it's not real. And so when things get hard, we fall apart. It's just not true. Because we placed our faith in circumstance and not in Jesus, a lot of us. We maybe focused ourselves, we placed ourselves in a promise of that things will work out okay and not in the person of Jesus. And it all falls apart. But this is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. This is what all of scripture is trying to understand. I mean, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah says these words in Isaiah 9. He prophesies this. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the garment shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And everybody says... As I told you before, I like to surf. I, I would call myself a surfer, uh, which means I know how to surf. So uh, uh, one summer, one season, I got a foam board. I got a nine-foot foam board. And the reason why in the summertime it gets really packed in Southern California and you kill people with these epoxy boards, right? So you get a foam board and not to hurt people and not to get your board all dinged up. So I got this foam board, which is a lot more buoyant. And I go out to this spot. It's called Salt Creek. Salt Creek's in Southern California. It's one of those iconic surf spots in California. Uh, you shouldn't longboard there. Uh, I'm a longboarder. This board is nine feet long. But I was like, you know, I got a new board. I want to give it a go. So I paddle way out amongst the whole crowd. And I see a set coming. I get, my, get myself in place. In this wave, I came into it late. Which, if you know anything about surfing, that's bad. You don't want to be late in the wave because it just throws you. It just throws you. So that's what it did to me. It threw me eight feet straight down. And now I'm under the water. I'm spinning around. Now, what they tell you when you're in that circumstance is stay calm. Everything inside of you is like, this does not feel calm, right? And so you're, because you're disoriented, you don't know where you are and where to go. And then I remembered, wait a second, I got a bobber attached to my ankle, that's pointing in me in the direction of safety. What feels so disorienting, if I can calm myself down, there is something that atta- I'm attached to that's pointing me to peace. I'm going to be okay. What are you attached to? In the midst of things being so confusing and so overwhelmed, what have you attached yourself to? that will lead you to that peace that passes all understanding. This is what Isaiah is inviting the people into. In John Calvin, the the 16th, uh, 16th century Reformation writer, theologian says this in, in relation to this passage. Whatever and in short, it appears to us that everything is in ruinous condition. Let us recall to our remembrance, that Christ is called wonderful, 
Like he, because he has inconceivable methods of assisting us, and because his power is so far beyond what we are able to conceive, when we need counsel, let us remember that he is the counselor. When we need strength, let us remember that he is mighty and strong. When new terrors spring up and suddenly every instance and when many deaths threaten us from various quarters, let us rely on the eternity of which he is with good reason called the Father. And by the same comfort, let us learn to soothe all temporal distresses. When we are inwardly tossed by various tempests, And when Satan attempts to disturb our consciences, let us remember that Christ is the Prince of Peace and that it is easy for him to quickly alley all our uneasy feelings. Thus, will these titles confirm us more and more in the faith of Christ and fortify us against Satan and against hell himself. He is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. He is your counselor. I have a counselor, but I tell you this, he ain't Jesus. He's our counselor, mighty in power, eternal father, prince of peace. It's who he is. And what I'd love for you to do is take a minute and reflect on this quote from Calvin. What does it mean to you? Where are you trying to find your comfort, your hope? Where are you grounded? What are you tethered to? Take a few minutes, reflect on this quote. It'll be up on the screen. And internalize it, personalize it. Take a few minutes. Peace. Peace is a pervasive word in the Bible. 329 times. 
Actually, a good majority of those are found in the book of Isaiah, which is ironic. Because the book of Isaiah is essentially a good news, bad news book. It's a prophetic view of two really stark contrast things. It's a, it's a prophetic view of what destruction is to come upon the people of Israel as a result of their disobedience. Not good news. But then it's also a letter of good news because he's prophetically talking about the one who is to come to rescue all, all of humanity, past, present, and future to himself. Speaking of this child, 700 years prior, it's in the midst of this that peace is a prevalent theme. And all throughout in the Jewish scriptures, this word peace, it it means shalom. And shalom meant wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, and prosperity, carrying with it the implication of permanence. It's something that doesn't fleet, that you opt in or out of. It's a, a, a sense of who God is and who you can be as a result of being his children. This is Shalom, a life in shalom. William Barclay, speaking about peace and shalom, says this. In the Bible, the word for peace is shalom. It never means simply the absence of trouble. It means everything which makes for our highest good. The peace which the world offers us is a peace of escape. The peace which comes from the avoidance of trouble and refusing to face things. Think about all our culture offers you to run away from, to escape from, to find peace. We have so inebriated ourselves with everything that we believe is going to help find us some type of break or rest, right? Some of you who have been watching Downton Abbey for like, what, two years Right, just checking out. Hey, I'm with you. All right, not Downton Abbey. I would never watch that show. Anyway, not because it's just a British thing. Anyway, um, right? Some of you drink too much, hoping to escape. Some of you use medicinal things to escape, exercise to escape, food to escape. Everything the world is offering you is a faux fake version of the real. And it's robbing you. It's robbing us. It's robbing me. But this is interesting because this isn't a brand new thing. Like the word that the Romans used to say is pax. That's Latin for peace. And what they used to say is this, that pax was associated with a conqueror like Nero who would come in and reestablish and bring power. That's where peace was found. And so it's interesting because in Jesus' time, we see this going on. The disciples genuinely, and the people are genuinely going, okay, if this dude's the Messiah, this is great news. This is great news because he's going to destroy all the bad people and make life better for us. That's what he's going to do. And so you can imagine their discouragement when he dies. No, 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 that's not, that doesn't bring packs. That doesn't bring peace. Because for them, it was circumstantial. It was found in the wrong thing. And they believed something about Jesus that he wasn't. They wanted something from Jesus rather than who he is. 
the suffering servant that Isaiah speaks of. This baby born in a poor barn. We reject that. They rejected that. We reject that. Here's what I'm coming to really wrestle with and really understand. Is it any surprise that our society on the whole is completely and utterly spinning out? Is it any surprise? We believe that some politician, policy, plan, progressiveness, prosperity, or a partner will bring us peace. Historically and currently, this has eroded people. It's eroded people. It's crushed people. But here's the real honest truth. Peace is not an attribute of God. Peace exists because God exists. It's his nature. It's his very nature. Which means this, if you are looking to find peace in anything other than Jesus, you will constantly be in turmoil. Some of you know this. Some of you feel that turmoil in your life as you try to inebriate yourself that only robs you and leaves your soul tired and exhausted. And then you start thinking really harmful things. You question your place in this world, your belonging, your value. I would have you look to Jesus. I would have you reestablish your foundation in him Because it's who he is. It's not an attribute of his. It's not like he's just a peaceful, Jesus is just a peaceful guy that showed up on the scene. He is peace. He is peace. That's why the angels say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. For born today in the city of David is Emmanuel. God came to us. God loves us. God sees us. God knows us. And he's with us in our hurt. He's with us in your pain. He has not abandoned you to it. He is near to the brokenhearted. He empathizes with those who feel that woundedness. And he goes, in me you will find peace. That's why in John, when John says, peace I leave with you. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do you know what he's saying there? I'm about to go die. Me, peace. I'm about to die to bring peace to all. Because circumstantially it won't work and it hasn't worked. I am peace and I'm the only one who can bring peace. But I have to die. But he's like, I give you this. Check this out. I give you my peace. I give you my, my personhood. And then he says this, I give you my presence. The whole context of John 14 is I've not abandoned you like orphans. I'm not abandoning you like orphans. I'm sending a helper, my presence. So he is giving you his peace, his own peace, and he is giving you his own presence. That's love. That's not circumstantial. That's providential. 
That's real truth for a real people who are in real need of real peace. He says this, not as the world gives it. The world's crushing you. I'm not going to give you something that crushes you. I love you. Not as the world gives it, do I give it. Let not your hearts be troubled. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. Because I give you my own peace. And I give you my own presence. You know, we're worried about peace in our circumstances rather than peace in our Christ. We're worried about peace in our circumstances rather than peace in our Christ. Our circumstances will always change, but our Christ does not. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he wants to meet you right where you're at in your circumstances, which constantly changes. We need something more solid. I would say to you, Take his peace on, his own peace, his own presence that is not dependent on circumstance. That's why scripture says, listen, we can have joy in suffering. Why? Because I have a peace that passes all understanding, the presence of the living God that lives and moves and breathes in me and comforts me when I'm wounded. It's not inauthentic, it's real. And he's inviting us all into it. Um, I have a confession. I, uh, I am not a fan of Disney, Disneyland. Uh, I don't like Disneyland because everyone says it's the happiest place on earth, and I think that's a lie. I don't find that to be true, and if you've had children, young children, and you've taken them to Disneyland, you know that is a lie, right? It is not. You wait in line for four hours to take a 90-second ride that your kids hate, right? And they lose their minds, right? And you overpay for water, right? Water. It's abundant, right? $90 for a bottle of water, right? But don't worry, it's got Mickey on it. So everything's going to be better, right? It's all going to work out, right? And it's exhausting. Parents, you know, like if you go to Disney with your kids, you need a vacation after that vacation, right? You're like, put me on a beach. Get me away from that mouse, right? Because Disney is exhausting. They try to convince you, and it's a marketing plan. You got full-grown men with sashes and pins with Mickey ears on. What is happening, right? So I'm not a fan of Disney, right? Because when I was taking my kids as little, it was not fun for me. I did not enjoy it. Now, they say, oh, but look at the kids' joy. Sure, that's great. But I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted, right? I need a break. I need a vacation from my vacation. So we're at Disney. Kids are little. Taking them all around, it's all chaotic. And of course, of course, of course, they want to stay for the parade at the end. How many of you have been a part of the parade, right? Okay, all right. Um, So they want to stay at the parade. I'm like, I don't want to go to the parade. I just want to go sit in the hotel and turn off, right? Uh, I need to find peace. (laughs) And so, um, and Disney isn't bringing me peace. So, okay, fine. And then my son says to me, like, you know, you're in the crowd. There's so many people all around and he's like, hey, dad, he's like probably three or four, I want to get on your shoulders. And I was like, no, <laughs> I've been lugging your butt around this park all day long. Last thing I want is for you to be on my shoulders, right? He's like, please let me come on your shoulders. I'm like, all right. So he crawls up on my shoulders and I'm like, <laughs> you know, you ever had those kids? I just want you to know this. I know, I know our, our teens are in the, in the house, like junior high, senior high in the house. It's exhausting being a parent. It just is. It just is exhausting. Parents, is this exhausting? Yeah, okay. 
Um, so he's on my shoulders, which is kind of like a, it's like, this is how it's going to be our whole lives, right? And so he's on my shoulders and it's heavy and I'm tired and I'm exhausted. And then all of a sudden my head gets really heavy. I'm like, what is happening? He, and he's sleeping on top of my head like this. And I'm like, ah, you know, and you know how when a, a body is just a little loose, it's way heavier. I'm like so heavy. And I initially is just like, oh man, come on, dude. And then I realized this. Everything around this child is peril. He falls off my shoulder, he can die. But he's not afraid. Because he trusts me. He's at peace on my shoulders. So much to the point that he can fall asleep. And he believes that I'm gonna get him home and I'm gonna tuck him in and he's gonna be okay. And I started thinking about, do I feel that way with God? Maybe spiritually speaking, some of you have to go, do I find myself upon the shoulders of Jesus and resting and, and safe? Or to keep trying to go from thing to thing and it just constantly feels perilous and hard. And it was such a good, I remember sitting there with him on top of me going, oh Lord, you love me. Help me to find my peace in you. I love the story of the disciples in the boat See all around them is chaotic. And then all of a sudden this ghost appears, right? And it says that they're, they're afraid. And Jesus comes to him and he says three very straightforward things. Take heart. They're freaking out. It's a ghost, a ghost, a storm, a storm. Take heart. Here's what take heart means. Chill out. Relax. He says, it is I. It's me, Jesus. Do not be afraid. Take heart, relax. It's me, Jesus. Do you really believe it's him? Do you really believe he's got you? Do you really believe he's, he wants to bring you a peace that passes all understanding and that's found in him and him alone? And if that's the case, you will not be afraid. You will not be afraid. And here's the ironic thing. It's in this moment that Peter stands at the edge of this boat, right? And does Jesus calm the storm before he invites Peter out? Come out into the storm, Peter. Keep your eyes fixed on me. And Peter, step of faith. And I wonder what that means for you. Circumstantially, you're still in the boat. Circumstantially, just don't know what you're tethered to. And so you keep getting disoriented. And maybe you feel like this lady who's at the end of her life going, I don't deserve this. I'm too bad. I'm a bad woman. And what I would love for you this morning as we move into Christmas is may peace be with you in the person of Jesus Christ and not in anything else. And may you find rest for your souls. This passage in Colossians has been really important to me this week. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And we're gonna take communion here in a second. And so this passage is gonna help get us prepared for that. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created 
in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him and in him before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Peace is found in the preeminence of Christ. Amen?